Okay, that's my bad, y'all. I apologize. It rarely happens where I mess up. <laughs> rarely. Chris is perfect. <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, who's doing the introduction? I'm guessing Seth. I, I can't. <laughs> Not me. I do 90% of them. Perfect. Good. So I might Don't forget well. to come in. All right, here we go. No, can, I'm getting there. Because I have to set up the live, <laughs> he's, too. He's so getting there. Then, some, then he'll come in. Set, set, set you know, just announce it. I'm sure Jason's got stuff to do today. I'm good, man. No. Okay. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Face of Anyone. What's going on, guys? <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Hello. Come on in, Seth. Come on in, buddy. Hello, everyone. It's cold outside. I would like to welcome you to another episode of Fade to Gray podcast. And today, Chris, Omar, Elizabeth, and I are going to be speaking with the one and only Jason Elam. And let me just Um, say... There's more than one Jason Elam. I think there are a kicker. (laughs) There are. For like the Denver Broncos. Is that who we're talking about? Not him. This Jason... This Jason is a <laughs> is a big deal. All right, okay. he runs right. the Messy Spirituality Podcast. He's like a, a father. Messi, he's a football fan or soccer fan, I guess. That's two sports reference, references in this <laughs> intro. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to talk to him about that. Okay, but can I say the intro? So he is okay. No. The host of That's the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Uh, he's a former professional wrestler, Whoa. and yeah. And professional, former, like as in like uh, the like you 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 wrestle with butter butterbean, uh, s- sort of not butterbean particularly, but yeah. Oh my gosh! Okay, steel well, chairs and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. yeah. So he so that he's also a former Southern Baptist pastor of twenty years, Oof. which I think is going to have a lot of things, a, a lot of. Uh, Things we can talk about in this episode, and so um, we are just privileged to have you on today, Jason. And how are you doing? I'm doing well, Seth. Man, it's good to see you, and good to see everybody. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I understand we, Seth was on your podcast one time, right? That's correct. And yeah, he was he your least job. downloaded episode. Is that correct? <laughs> no, <laughs> Probably not true. Likely, that is not true. Likely. <laughs> I'm just no. messing around. Well, dude, it's really great to have you. You know, here at Fade to Gray, we like to get your story, man. Who is Jason Elam? I feel like I, I learned a little bit about you from Seth, but I want to hear it from uh, the man himself. Well, you know, I was raised near Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Nazarene Church. Any of you familiar yep. with the Nazarene? Yeah, yeah, familiar. Okay. I guess we should have mentioned that we're Sounds in like Pennsylvania right now, too. So we're not too far from Dayton oh, okay. ourselves. Okay, great. Okay. My grandparents I, were. I, my earliest Nazarene. religious memory was a children's revival at the Nazarene Church. It was a very sweet older couple who went church to ter- church doing children's revivals. They would, you know, preach the gospel to kids and use puppets and fun things like that. But uh, the gospel I heard, I, I don't fault them for this. I don't know exactly. I don't remember the words they used. But what I heard was God loves you. 
but you're disgusting. Right. And you need to pray this prayer so that God doesn't fry you forever when you die because God killed his son so that he could take Jesus' blood and wash you and make you not as broken as you are so that he can pretend everything's okay and he'll let you into heaven when you die. That's right. Um, yeah. Again, I'm sure that's not what they said, but that's the message that I heard. And that I always imagined it was like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator, where he takes the the mud and rubs it on his body <laughs> so the predator can't see him. As like the devil's the predator and the Jesus's blood's yes. the mud. So, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I know that's that a metaphor. very common story, man. Like people go to church, like in Sunday school and stuff, and they get this. You know, they have fun puppets and whatnot, but what you're really getting is a message of you are unworthy and you are a disgusting person. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's uh, in the book. And, Exactly. So that's a, that's a very common uh, story that we hear from people, you know, so it can continue. I'm just, you know, I'm interested that uh, it, it always seems to, to be the same story. So, well, I think we've done a lot of damage with that kind of a message, right? I mean, yeah. the, the underlying understanding for me, and this was, I was seven, eight years old when this happened yeah. was if God doesn't like me, if I have to be afraid of the one who created me, Come then on. what hope do I really have? And so that set me up basically for a, a lifetime of feeling like I had to earn God's approval. I had to live up to some ideal, some religious ideal of what it looked like to be a good person. And as all of you know, I'm sure, um, you can waste your whole life trying to be something rather than just being it. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I, I spent my life trying to be a good guy rather than just, you know, being who I am. Um, and, you know, that fear was instilled in me very early. And so there, I was a really harsh legalist once I got into my young adult years. That's because you got really into the Southern Baptist Church, right? That's right. Yeah. When I, you know, I, I kind of went there at the end of high school. I kind of drifted out of church. Because I was just like, you know, if this God that I have to jump through hoops for all the time, that's exhausting. And I just can't do that my whole life. And so I just, I just decided not to care about that for a few years. Um, but And then I, that's when I went into professional wrestling, was there at the end of high school and a couple of years after. And uh, that was my favorite pastime growing up. I grew up in the WrestleMania era of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Yeah. Wrote some fan letters got some cool responses. And so those folks were my heroes. And so that's who I wanted to be when I grew up. And so I ran off um, one month from the day I turned 18, ran off and uh, joined wrestling school. Wow. Uh, moved from, wow. Uh, we were living in Alabama at the time, moved from there to Virginia and went to wrestling school and um, started on a career of professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, it was not at all glorious or glamorous. Uh, most wrestling shows around the United States today are, little shows where you might get a $5 handshake at the end of the night because there were 30 or 40 or maybe even a hundred on a big night, a hundred or 200 people in a national guard armory somewhere. Um, but that was the training ground. That's where we learned how to do what we were doing. Uh, I remember I got one big break. I had a friend who had connections with back then WWF. And so I got a tryout with WWF in, really? uh, yeah, in North Carolina. And you can actually still find the match on YouTube. Uh, it's from February 1994. Ooh, we'll uh, and I absolutely, 
Yeah. Okay, great. That's a great YouTube link. <laughs> My wife always threatens me. I I swore for years that the the video of that didn't exist because I was so embarrassed and humiliated. I just got up there and absolutely choked. And they put me in one of those squash matches where you're just the guy that's there to get his ass handed to him to make the other guy look good, right? Um, and so I swore that that video didn't exist cause I hadn't come across it. Well, my wife in like five minutes, I mean, within five minutes of us starting to develop a relationship, she had that link and was sending it to people. <laughs> <laughs> so if Please I didn't share me. that with you, she was going to anyway, as well. Please tell me that it's a video of you wrestling macho man, Randy Savage, and he snaps <laughs> you like a slim Jim. <laughs> no, I wish it was. I wish it was. No, there was a guy named Ludwig Borga. Do you, any of you remember no. him? He was uh, a big, really tall, really big, muscular guy. They build him from as from Helsinki. I don't know if that's where he was actually from or not. <laughs> He's actually passed away. That was his last match in the WWF. He left um, and actually became part of the Congress in his home country somewhere. Oh, wow. He was elected. See, he, he, was like, he was like, fuck this. He's like, they're, they're pa- matched me with this dude. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, got, right. I, I got better things to do. <laughs> That's funny. I'm going to go run this country. Funny, yeah. <laughs> well, how long right. did you spend doing uh, the professional wrestling thing then? You, you said you were 18? I think it was like two years. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. think it was a couple of years doing that. And then I got injured. And um, when I came back from the injury, I couldn't run as high or, uh, I'm sorry, run as fast or jump as high. And so I really just wasn't as good at it anymore. And so I remember, I mean, I had been scraping together a living from wrestling uh, in those days. Couldn't afford the apartment, couldn't afford the cars that I had financed anymore. Uh, My mom calls me up, says, hey, you know, this Sunday is Mother's Day. Dun, dun, dun. Um, And I'm like, yeah. $5 paycheck. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I am broke, you know, I'm not getting what I was getting from wrestling and I'm, you know, just now starting to get comfortable walking again. I'm sorry. I can't buy you anything. Should all I want is for you to come church with me on Sunday. And so that was the Southern Baptist church. Yeah. And there it was. So tell us a little bit about that. I went to church. What's that? Go ahead. Go for it. Let's keep going. I, I love it. I went to church and, um, you know, I just had this, I don't know. I, I felt a call and I walked down the aisle. I shook the preacher's hand. And I mean, you could call it like a rededication. I think that's the terminology that most of us were raised with. But for me, just being a Christian was not even a possibility. I knew if I was going to sign back up for this, I had to go all the way. I was going to do ministry and Bible college and the whole thing. And so that's that's what I did that that day. I, I signed up, man. I was on. You're like an all or nothing kind of guy then. You, there's there's yeah, no exactly. like in between. <laughs> it's and either not the, worth my time at all or I'm going to go in head first. Yeah. And that's the same day that your mom asked you to come to church? She called me a couple of days later, uh, a couple of days earlier, and I went that Sunday. Yeah, Mother's Day. Gotcha. Wow. That was pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. So you got rededicated and you went to Bible yeah, school. And, right. I, I got licensed uh, in that Southern Baptist church. Um, pretty soon after that, I was a youth pastor at one at a different Southern Baptist church close by. Weren't Got we promoted up to, up to an associate pastor, and then <laughs> you know became a senior pastor. Went to Romania as a missionary for a year. Wow! Um, nice. Did a lot of evangelism. Would come from church to church. I was actually the guy that they would bring in if folks were asking too many questions or getting out of line. I was the evangelist that the preacher would bring in to beat the people back into submission. 
Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Did you still wear your wrestling tights when you did that? No, that, I would not. I bet no. that would be pretty would, intimidating. No, my wrestling tights had pink hearts on them. They would have not taken me very seriously. They had pink hearts on them. <laughs> they did. Yeah. You yeah. shall All not right, question so, the Bible or what we're telling you, or, or I'm going to snap you in half. <laughs> <laughs> So tell exactly. us about that yeah. though. So so you were kind of like the fixer, right? So yeah. they, they call you in whenever people start asking the real hard questions about, you know, faith and stuff. And 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 what do you do in that situation? How do you reel them back in? Well, you remember uh, the the scripture calls itself a sword of the spirit, right? Well, I would use it as a bludgeoning instrument. I, back in the day, and I'm so ashamed of this now, and I'm so sorry for all the trauma that I caused. Um but I would just take the scripture and just dismantle people, just tear away all their defenses and just remind them what I was told as a young child, you are not worthy of the love of God and you don't deserve it. My goal when I went into a church service, again, this is heartbreaking to even say out loud, but my goal when I went into a church service was to do my duty before God in my understanding by getting everybody in the building to the altar in tears at the end of the service. So I wanted to jump on this earlier when you mentioned going Mm -hmm. down the aisle and feeling that calling Um, because Southern Baptists love the emotional, uh, like it's all emotional and it's all about that like altar call experience. And so it sounds like you really learned how to, manipulate that or, or use that in a way. Is that yeah. correct? Uh, at the end of that first youth pastor job that I was telling you guys about, I went to something that was called the Brownsville Revival. Yeah, Any I know. Have you all heard of that? Oh, yeah. Assemblies of Lind- God Lindell thing. Cooley. Right. Yeah, right. And Lindell Cooley was an awesome worship leader. I mean, but it really, they had, an, they had a, a way of setting the atmosphere, right? From the very beginning of the evangelist's message at that Brownsville Revival, he would start saying, in a few minutes, some of you are going to come. He was planting that seed in their minds of what he, that desired response, right? And so he would do that, and then he would just dismantle people with the Scripture, take down all their defenses, and then remind them that as unworthy as they are, there is a God who loves them who is waiting at, with open arms at that altar at the end of the night. And that was the climax. That was the main event. That was the moment that you built towards the entire service. But Seth, you're exactly right. I did not see it for what it was then, but it was absolutely manipulation. Yeah. The whole thing is really crazy, Jason, especially um, just the formula they use with it. Um, and it is all emotional based and it's bigger than just, I would say a Southern Baptist thing. Cause it happened in some ways of God as well. So it's right. more of a, uh, American evangelical Christian thing to where even it's celebrate because that's where you get all the money. That's where you get the commitments. You know, that's where they, I mean, like we had closers, you know, people that were more emotional that can get you all riled mm-hmm. up that would actually come in at the end to do the closing of the, of the ceremony to get people to come forward, you know, cause they, mm-hmm. they had the gift quote unquote, you know, and, and that's all it was, was yeah. manipulation, which um, I wanted to ask this question earlier. Um, and we started talking a little bit about wrestling, which I was, you know, fascinated with. I can't wait to find you in the pink tights, pink hearts. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, you said how you should have, you spent all your time trying to be a good person instead of just being yourself. 
Um, and it seems like you did most of your damage in life at, as that being that quote unquote good person, um, you know, that we're kind of talking about right now. Um, I want to unpack that a little bit for the listeners and maybe even for ourselves here. Um, what that means. Cause I, I know what you're getting at, but like, I mean, isn't being a good person going to church, you know, reading the Bible, voting Republican. I mean, like, what is it? What is it like that was, because by your definition at the time, you were being a good person. You couldn't see the harm that you were causing. Um, do you think that like was that was just you buying into a system that you never actually felt that way? Because you're because how do you differentiate that between being yourself? You know, being a person just being yourself. Right. That that altar call at the children's revival that I told you about set a foundation of fear that stayed with me for almost all of my life since then. And, and like I said, when you think that God is disgusted by you and you're terrified that everybody else will be too, you get really good at maintaining an image, pretending to be something you're not, because the understanding is who you really are is deplorable. Who you really are is disgusting. And so I spent a lifetime trying to keep everybody at arm's length. Uh, I actually remember this little conversation with God that I had oh, about a year ago now, where I, I, I asked God, and you know, again, I'm going to call it God, but it, there's a lot of names for this, right? But I, I just said, you know, why doesn't anybody love me just for me? Mm, this was a on. particularly low me feeling sorry for myself kind of moment. I know my wife loves me. I know my parents love me. People love me. But I had a, a really low moment, and I asked that question, and the answer that came to my head was just, how could they? Nobody knows the real you. You never let anybody see who you are. Because ever since you were seven years old, you've been terrified of anybody getting close enough to see who you really are. And so for me... Religion was just part of the shield that I kept held up high to keep people at arm's length. And, you know, I loved the idea of being that person behind the pulpit or that person on the pedestal because they, they thought I had my life together. They didn't know that when I was 12 years old, the neighbor kid took me out into the field and showed me the stack of his dad's playboys. They didn't know that some of those images had been burned in my mind for all of my teenage years. They didn't know of uh, all the stuff that I had gotten into in the years since that didn't look anything like what they were seeing in the pulpit. There was this side of me that I was terrified for anybody to see because I thought who I really was was broken and disgusting. And that's what religion had taught me. And that even once I heard the message of grace, you know, the grace movement was really good until it wasn't. <laughs> Grace, the message of grace was like cool water to a thirsty soul, but the fear was still there. The fear didn't get dealt with by hearing God loves you as you are. And so it was, okay, this is 10 years into ministry now. Okay, maybe God does love me as I am, but I have to maintain it. Right. I have to earn it. I have to jump through those hoops that you were talking about. I have to attend the services. I have to tithe. I have to read six chapters of the Bible. They have to fast, have to pray, have to witness. Yeah, he loves you, but if you want his blessings, then you have to walk in obedience. That's right. Absolutely. You have to be holy as your heavenly father is, is perfect or whatever it is. Yeah. Oof. And man, didn't we misunderstand that word? <laughs> 
Yeah, we did. I mean, as if, yeah, I mean, if the, if the, if the goal is for us to be as holy as God, as in sinless and perfect, and then man, we are all screwed, you know, but if, if holy means something else, if it just means set apart to love, if it just means united in heart, if it just means, you know, I, I, where I am today, I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the story, but I just really believe that whatever God exists is love. And so I want to be a, a fountain of love. And so in order for me to do that, then I've got, I've got to accept that I've been accepted the whole time. Yeah. That- all those years when I was trying to jump through hoops, all those years when I was trying to maintain an image, all of that was unnecessary. I mean, I thank God I, I'm, I get to be where I am now because of some of those things, but um, I did a lot of damage. I hurt a lot of people um, and I'm so sorry, but I'm grateful to sit here today and say that I was loved the whole time. And so are you. Yeah. I think a lot of us have, you know, similar things that we could say. I know on previous uh, episodes where we've talked to people, you know, both Elizabeth, Omar, myself and Seth have, recalled times when we, you know, had said, uh, and made people feel the exact same way that they were worthless, you know, because we thought that that's what God or the Bible told us to do. And so we were just trying to be faithful to that. And, you know, it's a horrible thing, but that's something that we were taught as well. You know, it's not like we were trying to hurt anyone. It was, uh, and the funny thing is, is I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I posted something about, you know, we're talking to people about religious trauma on my Facebook. And this guy that I used to be in a band with um, said, interesting that a person who caused me religious trauma is having conversations about religious trauma. And I'm ooh, like, ooh. actually, it's perfect because I can speak to it. You know, I mean, I'm the perfect person to do it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and I don't I, I feel bad for, you know, causing anybody any sort of religious trauma. But I myself was a victim of it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. Right. I don't feel that bad. <laughs> anyway, uh, I know Elizabeth um, got hit real hard with it one time, so uh, it's something that we can we can really let get a you know get to us, or it's something we can say, hey, that was me back then, and now I'm in a much better place. Um, and speaking of being in a better place, you sound like you are in a great place. Um, how does one break out of that place? Because I have a lot of uh, people that uh, you know I've been in ministry with, or that I was, you know, whenever I was a Christian that I'd been in contact with who are just now kind of starting to ask these questions uh, about their faith and saying, I don't know if I want to worship a God that, you know, hates homosexuals. I don't know if I want to worship a God that, uh, you know, endorses slavery. Uh, So, so what would you say to the person that's trying to maybe figure that out? Well, I, I would just I would start with telling them how loved they are because I really feel like knowing how loved we are and have been the whole time tears down a lot of our defenses that keep us locked into the legalism like you're describing. Um, I was that way. I mean, I really believed in a very narrow gospel, a very exclusive Christianity that excluded almost everyone who wasn't like me. I mean, white middle class Republicans were pretty much the only people that I thought were going to heaven back in the day. Um <laughs> My spiritual evolution, what some might call a deconstruction, t- t- took place over a decade. Grace, the grace message was the beginning of that, but I couldn't stay there because my, my legalism didn't coexist with that well. Um, 
when I went to Romania as a missionary in 1998, I got married three months after being there uh, on our wedding night was the first time she ever hit me with an item. Uh, she threw a metal alarm clock, one with the brass bell on the top and, and clocked oh, wow. me in the head on our wedding. This is a Romanian woman, right? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay. And, wow. um, I, uh, that was the beginning and we stayed together for nine years as uh, she had been horribly abused as a child. The only way that she knew how to deal with any kind of stress or fear or anything was with violence. Wow. And so wow. while I'm preaching and trying to be the answer guy for the churches that I was serving, I was dealing with a very toxic relationship at home. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm a, I was a picnic at all. Please do not hear that. I was very controlling. I was a chauvinist, absolutely. Uh, very jealous. Um, but the abuse, you know, was just gasoline on the fire. And um, so that went on for nine years. Um, I was pastor of a church. We had made a really bold step. The leadership team had decided we had, a, we had this campus out in the middle of the Alabama countryside that was completely paid for. And we had decided we were going to sell this whole thing and take that money, move into the inner city and just serve people with real needs. Just move into the city and take the money from this campus that we had and, and just serve the community. And right before we signed that deal, one of the leaders got cold feet and backed out. And uh, I didn't know anything about it until he stood up on a Sunday morning and says, you know what, I just can't support this anymore. And was, you know, leading the opposition against it. And I literally just resigned on the spot. Uh, my fuse was so short in those days. I could not just, I just couldn't handle it. And so I resigned, said, I'm never coming back here again. Uh, went home, that abuse continued. And the next time I got hit in the head with a paper towel rack, uh, I took my three-year-old daughter and moved out and filed for divorce. Almost immediately started dating uh, the woman who had been the, I was the senior pastor at a church. The, this man had been the youth pastor. This was his wife who was newly divorced as well. And so uh, we got, we started dating and got married really quick. And so man, and the circles that I was in, uh, I just compounded the scandal, right? Because you and couldn't I'm be sure a they thought, pastor. Right. And I'm sure they thought y'all had something going on previously too. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'm sure they did. And I mean, like, like I said, we didn't do ourselves any favor by, uh, you know, doing everything as quickly as we did, but here's the amazing thing. Uh, that was almost 13 years ago and we're still married today. And if there is one human being on this planet that I believe knows the worst about me, but loves me completely, it's my wife. And so she is that little testimony of grace. She is that one that reminds me that it is possible to be fully known and fully loved. And so somebody who is questioning their faith, the scary part of questioning your faith is we think that our approval from God is because we've got all the answers figured out. We believe the right things. But I just want you to consider that it was never about you believing the right things or having the right answers. If you're rethinking your faith today, maybe that's an invitation to see God in a way you never have before. A God that exists 
beyond the boundaries of the Bible. And I know that's terrifying. I mean, I couldn't have heard that in the first months of deconstruction. Yeah, you're gonna make um, Baptists God lose their bigger, minds. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, bigger than the Southern Baptist Church, bigger than the conservative movement, bigger than the American Church, and bigger than the Bible. But there is that kind of love out there. There, there, there is something so much bigger than all of that. Um, but it took me so long to get there. And you know, I'm not saying I've arrived anywhere. I'm, I'm still learning every day. That's why I stopped calling it deconstruction. Started calling it spiritual evolution because I think healthy things grow and growing things change. But evolution and the that devil. journey doesn't stop. <laughs> what, he, what was that? I said evolution's the devil, though. You didn't learn anything? <laughs> right, yeah. How can it be spiritual evolution? I was actually going to say that I really like that term because you do. The deconstruction is such a, uh, you know, it's an overused oh term. I mean, people talk about it all the time, but spiritual evolution, that's that's a nice way to put it because it's clever. a lot of people who are going through it, you know, what, what do you do after deconstruction? Well, I don't know. You have to rebuild. Whereas with evolution, it's just an ever evolving thing. So it's, it, it flows better. I think, I think it's, it might be a better term. <laughs> well, I think that in some ways the deconstructing deconstruction idea can have its own trauma, right? Cause you're, you're tearing down who you've been, or at least who you've thought of yourself as for years and years and years and years. And I agree. Sometimes we've got to tear down before we rebuild, but I don't want to just write off 20 years of my life, 30 years of my life as worthless. No, those were the blocks that we built on. And we are where we are today because of what we went through then. Um, obviously, I, there's a whole lot of things I wish I'd never gone through, things I wish I'd never done, things I wish I'd never said. But I'm grateful to be where I am today. And I'm grateful that I don't have to go back to ground to, to, to zero to, uh, to believe something different. So did you have any mentor helping you walk through that, that deconstruction or spiritual evolution? Did you, or were you like either physical mentor or like, uh, books you were reading or authors you were following or did you do this all I, on your I own? I was, I did do it a lot on my own because I don't think that we talked about these things in the circles that I was in. You we couldn't don't. talk about questions. I mean, no. I, I got on, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, Brad Jerzak, Jonathan Martin, uh, Brennan Manning was a really early influence on me. Mike Iaconelli, one of the founders of Youth Specialties, wrote an incredible book called Messy Spirituality that we've named our podcast after in a tribute to him. Um, so I had, Anne Lamott was a, a fabulous influence in my life uh, through her books, but um, it was mostly through books and podcasts. Uh, I, I went to the gym about two, two, three years ago. Now I, I went to the gym one day, still having a lot of those very exclusive beliefs. If you didn't do this, 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 and this, you were going to hell when you died. I got on the track at my gym, listening to Jonathan Martin interview Brad Jerzak on his old podcast. I got on that track, believing in those things. And when I got off the track at the end of that conversation, I had had such an encounter with the only way I can describe it is waves of liquid love that crashed over me and I couldn't believe in hell anymore. I just couldn't. And I was still pastoring a church at that time. And so I went to our Wednesday night small group and said, Hey, I used to believe all these things and I've taught them to you for years, but I just don't believe this anymore. I don't believe that a God of love 
could fry people for all eternity. I don't think that's what God wants. I don't see if God is love and love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, then that can't be how this ends. And if there's room at the table for everybody at God's table, then maybe there should be room at our table too. And so we actually, uh, you know, some folks left the church, of course. Go ahead, Seth. How do we control? How do we control people's behavior if we can't <laughs> threaten them with hell? That's why we have hell. It, it's the measuring yes. stick that we right. use to keep people in line. I don't know if you take away hell. What's the what? You know, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, shall we sins that sh- uh, sin shall abound by no means? Like, how how do you... How, okay, I'm just... I'm pontificating at you this really point. You really butchered that that uh, verse there, Seth. <laughs> did shall I really? Grace. Yes. Right. Yes, you did. Right. Okay, well, clearly anyway. I have not been reading my Bible and haven't for quite some time. Shocker, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think that's great. Uh Wow. Yeah. So your, your, your congregation got a little smaller that day, uh, for sure. How long was it before you were, um, completely out of the ministry? Uh, it was a little over a year. Um, starting that night, we started having some conversations. We'd been trying with this little church plant to grow an audience, you know, grow a church for, we had been there a couple of years at that point. And, and starting that night, we had decided you know what, we're going to ask the community what they need rather than just trying to tell them they need another church. I mean, it was Alabama, uh, you know, countryside Alabama. There's a church everywhere there, a bunch of tiny little churches with just a few dozen people in them. Um, And so we started asking the community what they needed and what turned out what they needed was food. Hmm. And so we literally stopped having Sunday morning services and we set up a, like an indoor farmer's market where the neighbors could come through and shop for free for food to feed their families. And we did that for as long as we could until we ran out of money because we just gave everything away and we couldn't maintain the building anymore. And so that ended in July of 2019. So all this is fairly fresh um, on your timelines because I mean, you've, well, except for the, you know, divorced from the abusive Romanian wife, which, I mean, I guess uh, in retrospective, you know, everything's clearer in rear view, but you should maybe start like bolting things down around the house. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Seems like things were, things were flying. You would think I would have learned that. Um, But no, but I'm, I'm, so I'm just really impressed. I wrote down a couple of things as, as you were talking, um, because I was, some of the timelines um, wasn't matching up until this last question that Chris had asked about, um, when everything started breaking down. And so um, it's only been a little over a year now that you've been without a church then. Um, yeah. And then, so that makes a lot more sense when you were talking about, it was about a year ago that you were praying and asking God, you know, why nobody just um, accepts you for the way that you are. Um, to me, um, whenever you said that, and I really wanted to come back, come back to that because I'm no therapist or psychologist or don't have any of the answers. But to me, when, when I hear somebody asking, you know, God that or asking themselves that it seems like, well, because you don't love yourself, silly. Like, it seems like if, if you're loving your, and, but your message now, like right now, a year, 
you know, I don't, I don't know what your message was a year ago, but your message to us now and to listeners now is this message of waves of, of liquid love, um, which, you know, take that to mean wherever you want it to, Seth. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> really? But I, I just, I just, I mean, everything that you're talking about, Jason, is all about going back to love <laughs> and love, love, love. And ultimately, um, you know, you're not going to be able to have people love you until you can really love yourself. And so I want to know what that's been looking like for you on, on on this journey. You know, you talk about how you stood up on stage, you had people at arm's length, you're, you're, you're being this guy, but you don't want anybody actually to see this stuff inside of you. You're, you know, you're crying out a year ago, nobody knows me. And now you're telling everybody, God, just love the message is love. So what does it look like to Jason to love himself? Um, Early this year, uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, New Year's resolutions because I tend to break them very quickly. Same. Uh, so I tend to dismiss them as stupid. Um, but this year, I, I resolved that I wanted to see in person as many sunsets as possible. And I know that sounds hokey. Um, but for me, watching a sunset is a spiritual experience. We moved to the beach when that church closed down. My wife has a great job. She can work from anywhere. She works from home. And so we moved to the panhandle of Florida. It's a lot like Alabama, especially in politics and church culture. Um, But we live five minutes from a beach. And where we go to the beach, this time of the year especially, as the sun is setting, it looks like when you're watching it over the Gulf of Mexico, it literally just looks like the sun is just lowering right into sea level. And so for me, that's an act of faith. I watch that as often as I can because, number one, I just have to stop and pay attention. It's a centering moment for me. It's a moment where I can say everything's going to be okay because that same sun that just went down is going to come up again tomorrow. I need that one predictable reminder in my life, something that's totally uh, just beautiful to look at, but also very predictable. And so self-care, for lack of a better term, has looked a lot this year like just hanging out at the beach with my wife. We go every single day that we can and just sit there and watch the sun go down with faith that it's going to come up again tomorrow. That's inspiring. We don't do a lot. I mean, I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) There's a lot of people who Uh, I've been working on a book um, and I'm, I've rewritten it like twice already. I'm sure I'll rewrite it again. Um, Once COVID hit, you know, I thought the book was like just about there. And then COVID hit and I kind of felt like, you know what, this may end up being like September 11th where everybody thinks differently. You know, there's before September 11th and after yep. September 11th for people who were, you know, alive during that time. Absolutely. And so COVID's feeling that same way. And so I didn't want to release a book that didn't have that witness, you know, that I was there, I was there with you uh, during that. And I feel like we have to, we're going to, that's something we're going to be referring back to time and time again for as long as we'll, we'll live most likely, especially if it goes on for as long as some people are saying it might another year or two. Um, So I I work on a book. I try, you know, to just write a little something. My friend, you guys interviewed Carl forehand, right? Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Carl's a good friend of mine. He um, gave me some great advice the other day. So just write something every day, every day. And that's a centering practice for me is when I just force myself to just do it, just write something every day. What's, uh, you know, the general theme of your, your writings there, your book. 
Well, you know, the original title was um, From Ashes We Rise. It was kind of my deconstruction story. And I, I wanted to evolution. take, you know, chapter by chapter. What's that? Spiritual evolution, by the way. Uh, yeah. I like, <laughs> well, there is a book called Spiritual <laughs> Evolution. Somebody already did that. Ah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, but I wanted to go chapter by chapter through kind of my process, you know, because you, you can't spiritually evolve if you... Um, are stuck believing that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. If you're locked into a certain understanding of scripture that you cannot grow past, you're just going to keep slamming your head into that same particular wall. If you believe that other people are excluded, then you're always going to be tempted to wonder if you're not one of them. Yeah. And so there are things like that, that chapter two chapter, I wanted to kind of take on and talk about my journey through that. I think um, that's so important for people to, to really grasp. And like, I know that I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm open to, to God, whatever that is, but I, you know, I don't claim Christianity. I can't, I, I don't like what I see in it. I don't like that. They're, you know, Oh, this election was rigged. Trump is our God bullshit that I keep hearing all the time from Christians. It makes no app. It's, it's mind numbing. Okay. Like you can't take someone who says I grabbed her by the pussy and say, this man is a man of God. Like it's, it, it, it's, absolute cognitive dissonance. Okay. Anyhow, I don't understand how people can read the Bible and cannot see all of the fallacies in it. Okay. God is love. You know, thou shalt not murder. Oh, well, God told us to go and kill all the Philistines. Like what? It's a complete fallacy. Stop that nonsense. It is not inerrant. It is not perfect. It is written by man. I'm sorry. I'm on a soapbox. <laughs> no, that's good. And I can that see was a you soapbox that I kind of got <laughs> on soapbox. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> the the big thing for me in the Old Testament, obviously the genocide and but but yeah. I mean, who wants to serve a God who tells a man to sacrifice his son? Right. Oh yeah. Come on, I preach. Mean, why was that yeah. not a red flag? Right. There's so, yeah. there's so many things about the narrative of who God is that Christians just accept that I'm like, why would you want to hang out with or serve or, or be around this being for eternity if you really think that this is his nature? Like, what, what, like, yeah, anyway, I was just... Because we're taught that that's the only option, Omar. It, 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 like, for me, I, I didn't ag- agree with a large portion of the biblical text, but that is the system that I was raised in. And I was, I believed that if I did not adhere to this message, then I was going to hell. Uh, you know, and, and you kind of mentioned earlier in this conversation, Jason, um, about kind of stepping out of that system, um, and kind of stepping out of that. And it's so hard to do that. And, and I, that's, I'm really happy earlier, Elizabeth asked about books and things that you've found helpful because I think that's one of the biggest challenges because I experience a lot of cognitive dissonance in that, um, I believe that I believe in Christ. I believe in Christianity, quote unquote, but I don't buy any of the bullshit anymore. And then how do you reconstruct that? So, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Chris, you were mentioning uh, a minute ago on the politics side, the reason that so many of us, and these are my people, so I, I claim that they won't claim me anymore, but I'll claim them. Um, the, the reason that so many white middle-class evangelicals have defended Donald Trump the way that they have 
They have been defending deplorable action on behalf of their leaders for years because he made them feel included. He made them feel like their voice mattered, even though he wasn't listening. But what they're doing with Trump is what they've been doing with their version of God for centuries, right? They defend a God who would tell you to take your own son's life or order genocide and all those kind of things, excluding women, excluding the LGBT plus community, excluding so many people. But as long as he accepts me, then I'll defend him. Uh, I think of the paradigm, the, the, the comparison between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton because I was still in the white evangelical movement when Bill Clinton was getting happy with Monica Lewinsky in the <laughs> Oval Office. Right. And I saw the way that character was, you know, oh no, character matters. We've got to stand against this. We've got to take a hard stand against this guy because he doesn't have the character to be president. So instead we're going to rally behind the guy who pays off the porn star uh, with campaign money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, no, I mean, yeah. that's, that's just the one of the many contradictions of, of white evangelical America. And, and I want to be clear. I, most of our listeners know how we feel about politics. We think that both Joe Biden and yeah. Trump are evil and horrible. Um, I just want to be clear that we're not. When you say you know, we, that's you. Seth's still a, a huge Joe Biden supporter. Getting ready to say, speak for yourself, <laughs> sir. Oh, yeah. Uh, my apologies. Uh, all of us sane people realize <laughs> oh! that, uh, you know, that, that these politicians are all corrupt, you know. And so anyhow, uh, it, it, we so I, I constantly talk middle about class white man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not uh, suggesting there isn't evil in the parties. I'm suggesting that we need to pick the lesser of two evils. Okay. Jay, Jay, I want to hear about Jason. <laughs> right, 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 right. So my, my point being. Right. That they're always asking for a king, even back in. in and of course, this is if you believe the the, the accounts, um, you know, even back in the in the biblical uh, days of of, uh, you know, what what is it? Kings and all hey, that Chris? stuff. They're, they're asking what's up. You can't reference the Bible after having just told us that it was all about men creating it and it's all a fallacy and we can't use it anymore. So it's, don't use that as a reference. A, use something. else. It's a fallacy. But that doesn't mean that some of it didn't happen. So so they say, right, that they want a king. Saul becomes their king. And, of course, he's not perfect, but they still, you know, try to support him and stuff because they're always going to want a king. And I feel like that's what, you know, everyone's still doing now, whether it be Trump or Biden. Uh, they're still looking towards that. Anyway, uh, I agree, Omar. Let's go back to Jason. Jesus, are we still <laughs> podcasting here? <laughs> So this this is let's get to the important questions now, Jason, because you know we we've been talking now for about fifty minutes, getting to know you a little bit, and I meant, heard you mention that you are living in Florida now, and you get to enjoy the sunsets at the beach. Um, you know, it's a hard hard life, hard life. But what I want to know, because <laughs> is if I Google Florida man right now, what pops up <laughs> next to Jason Elam's name? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, yeah. You, you, are, you are aware of that joke, right? That it was about a year ago. Everyone's yeah. like Googling Florida man and, and your and your birthday. And there was always some story, right. some, some crazy thing that's happening yeah. in Florida right now. So Absolutely. So um, yeah. just 
be careful down there and stay away from the gators. <laughs> I will do my best. Oh. My wife is terrified of gators, and so it's really ironic that this was her her dream to live here. Terrified of gators? You're not very fast. I mean, I guess if you stay out of the water, you're okay. <laughs> they're they're fast. What are you talking about? Not on not on land. Ah. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. And, and in Florida, not only do you have to worry about gators, but also crocodiles. So, really? so you you're no longer pastoring. You're living in Florida. You have um, at least one podcast, and you're working on writing some books. What all is going on in Jason's life currently? How can people um, tune in, uh, find out more about this love message and the spiritual evolution path that, that you were on? Yeah, what's your TikTok? <laughs> I don't have a TikTok. I'm too old for that. My kids tell me. Uh, <laughs> they don't want me embarrassing them in that manner. Um, no, I. you can find pretty much everything about me on messyspirituality.org. Um, the Pathios blog is there. The podcast feed goes there. Uh, the book, I'm sure, if it ever gets finished, will end up there as well. Um, but right now, I'm homeschooling uh, three kids. We've got... We've got a fourth, his oldest, she's a senior, and she's now starting to take some dual enrollment uh, college level classes, so she's not as labor intensive for me. The nine-year-old keeps me really busy Oh yeah, uh, on the homeschooling. That is just exhausting. Are you guys homeschooling too? Yeah. Yes, and we have a nine-year-old, oh, so I totally get oh. it. We're on 11, 9, 7, and 5, so yeah. And Elizabeth totally homeschooled the them their entire life so and has homeschool yeah. podcasts yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, she knows wow. all about that. Oh, yeah, you might be able to uh, benefit from her COVID. homeschool podcast. Yeah. It's called awesome. Four in Tow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, plug sorry. yourself uh, babe like what, what's going on here podcast is called foreign show podcast go check it out okay anyway i, I wanted cool. to hear more from oh. jason i'm still listening to that i'll talk to you about homeschooling later it's not the homeschooling okay podcast. sounds good <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's really it for me i mean i i spend most of my time homeschooling and watching the sunset right now i'm trying to write as often as i can um i need to be writing on my pathios column a lot more than i do um covid I don't know if you guys had this experience, but COVID really shut me down. I mean, not just not leaving the house, but I mean, I just really felt like I didn't have anything to say. I was grateful. I've got a lot of friends with podcasts and we all just kind of invite each other on, on our podcasts. But I was just like six months ago, I was just like, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't stand the sound of my own voice right now. Um, I need a break. I need to step back. And um, I did that and spent a lot of good therapy time at the beach and uh, really got refreshed, and I'm feeling feeling really good these days. But man, those especially those initial days of COVID, when we didn't know what this was going to turn out like. And I'll tell you, the stories that really grab me are the uh, people who are dying alone in the intensive care units. Um, my mom is a healthcare provider in a hospital near Birmingham, and she'll tell me stories all the time of people who come in with shortness of breath and then 12 hours later, they're brain dead. They just can't get oxygen um, and how they have to die without their family members around. And I just cannot imagine uh, being in that circumstance. And so it's, it just left me speechless for a whole lot of this season. I don't know that we can say that we run several different podcasts and we love to hear ourselves talk, but <laughs> I, I don't I know. completely understand. My homeschool podcast <laughs> went off air for like two months, so well, I. Oh, you get have a homeschool it. podcast? 
<laughs> four and ten hey. seth has a, a podcast he does every week called mental uh-huh. i mean he loves to talk i That's i don't know i, I for me it was i guess i can kind of fill you on that but i was actually kind of excited about the downtime for a while but now i'm over it i am ready to get out <laughs> and so whenever they announced that the u.s is um it, you know uh, the fda or whatever approved that uh the what is it pfizer uh yeah. vaccine, vaccine. Oh, I was stoked. I can't wait to get that. But I hope the I'm nanos, the first Chris, the nanos. To get it. I don't care. I'll take it's them. going to be a cyborg. there again. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the mark of the beast, man. I have, it's, it's how fine. they're going to they're gonna get us all chipped. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else I don't know if anybody else has any more serious questions for you. I had one more, um, and then we can see kind of yeah. where it goes. It might be a good one to wrap on. But... Um, <sighs> So like where where is Jason now? You I've heard you make a couple comments. I mean you're just a year removed from this church. You you've been questioning some. You've been evolving spiritually for a while. Um, you mentioned that you know the whole message of hell has kind of un- unraveled. The the Bible itself is kind of unraveled. Um, and even you said something about your prayer life now. Like so, is there a God? I think so. Uh, I feel like there is. I mean, I've, I've always been captivated by Jesus. Uh, I, I'm again, I have questions about scriptural accounts. Um, but this idea that, you know, there's, there's kind of a, an alternative uh, atonement theory uh, that's been around for a long time about, you know, rather than uh, Jesus being murdered by God on the cross, that Jesus was displaying the ultimate love of God, that, a God who would take absolute worst we have to offer and say, I forgive you. It, it was never about your behavior. It's just, it's all about love. Um, for a long time, there's a poet named David Tenson. Are you guys familiar with him? I'm not heard. I don't think so. Oh my goodness. There, he's put out a book of poetry called the wrestle and you should check it out. David Tenson. And I, I was listening to, there's a version, uh, an audio book that Paul Young is the narrator for from the shack. Oh yeah. I was going to say, you Um, see the shack guy. I think the only reason you like this is because it's about wrestling. (laughs) That's just a very small part of this. (laughs) That was the last question. I've never seen myself as somebody that was into poetry, (laughs) uh, but he's got a great line just in the introduction. You know, for years we celebrated the God of the breakthrough, but what I need now is the God of the breakdown. That, that's, that's the phase of life that I'm in. That's where I'm at in my spiritual evolution. I need that's like the best part of the uh, song, right? The God or the breakdown. Yeah. I feel like that's like yeah. on that. <laughs> well, unpack that for us. What do you mean by the God of the breakdown? A, a God who doesn't expect us to have it all together. A God who has been there the whole time. A God who was with us in the lowest moments of our life. Uh, in when we were offering the very worst we have to offer, um, who just loved us anyway. And if, if there's a God that really is love and that God can teach me to love myself or, you know, show me a side of myself that is lovable, therefore I will love myself. Then that gives me a real shot at following Jesus counsel of loving my neighbor as myself. See, I don't think the problem is, that I didn't love my neighbor as myself. My problem was I was loving my neighbor exactly the way I love myself. I just did couldn't stand myself no. for a long wow. time. That's deep. I, I I think that's what's going on with a lot of people in church. A lot of that is yeah. is that 
exactly that. It's so deep. And because we're not, we're not allowed to love ourselves. I mean, the words are there, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, but they're so afraid to allow people to love themselves. Cause if we love ourselves then we realize we don't need this institution every week to, you know, like we can do this on our own. Like, and the fact that Jesus message is supposed to be empowering, not a codependent message that we just learned to all be codependent on one another and never actually grow. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love it, Jason. Um, does, does anybody have any other questions for him? No. Um, all right. So what I, one more thing I want to know about this, this, uh, wrestling thing. I know it's in your past, you know, you're not, don't have a no, another wrestling career, um, you know, rebirth coming out, but I also know the undertaker did retire recently. He came back just for one last oh, match yeah. to retire. Do you have any plans sure of coming back for one final <laughs> retirement? Mike Tyson match? just came back. Well, I know that's boxing, but can still. you still fit? Can you still fit in those, uh, pink heart, uh, <laughs> spandex? <laughs> My wife would not even let me attempt that. <laughs> I, I'm just, that would just be horribly embarrassing for everyone. So no. Uh, but my nine-year-old has firm plans to go to the WWE Performance Center as soon as he graduates high school. Oh wow! So oh, that's awesome. Following your, there following may your be another wrestler in the family. Go, yeah. go MMA. There's there's more <laughs> money in it. So much more money in it. Yeah, but yeah, it but, hurts but, more. It does. I was going to say there's probably a lot more injury in it because I'm. I don't know. You want to let the secret out there, Jason, uh, about wrestling? <laughs> no, being no. We, we've all, we've already <laughs> popping people's bu- bubble about God. We can't like tell them their entertainment's fake, fake too. Can't mess with WWE also. <laughs> um, yeah, you've, oh you've been gosh. a great guest, Jason. Um, you know, for our listeners, uh, please check um, him out and more if you want more of Jason's waves of liquid love. Go check him out at messyspirituality.org. That's right. Yeah, and his Papios blog. Yeah, but Don't that, forget the but Papios that, blog. But my little sound bite worked better with you know, ways of liquid love, messy spirituality. <laughs> uh, yeah, see that's what, fair. See what I did there? I'm sure there's a link to his Papios blog on... The messyspirituality.org. Thank you. <laughs> you are probably right. <laughs> there is. It takes you straight to messyspirituality.org on the Papios. Mm-hmm. So, oh, perfect. Go perfect he said there was all right seth all right <laughs> take us well, off live seth thank you so much for coming on <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on. shit, he shit. and he didn't even do it on purpose I made that was it so that long. was unironic <laughs> i made it so long in this episode without doing it 59 <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds and you said it it was completely that unironic was amazing <laughs> that's pretty funny that's uh, who's your favorite fictional wrestler? Fictional. Uh, okay. Fictional wrestler. You mean you mentioned Hulk, Hulk, you mentioned Hulk Hogan earlier. Steve Cold. Yes. Steve. What yeah. I, uh, I was a big Hulkamaniac as a kid. Um, Undertaker. That was big. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really. He had the best entrance in the company for sure. He uh, he there, saved I'm, that organization. If you listen to like uh, Ed, Ed oh, McMahon and yeah. his relationship, he like breaks down in tears talking about that guy. Vince Did you McMahon. say Ed McMahon? Yeah. Um, Vince. 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 Star yeah. Search. Well, I mean, there, at least I didn't say like McNugget or something. I mean, come on. There's actually I, a I lot really... in common between. <laughs> no, I want to know your your favorite fictional wrestler. You keep saying fictional. What the fuck ones? does that mean? Fake. They're all not fake. real. Well, no, no, no. What I mean is, is like you know, not someone who's an actual wrestler, but maybe somebody in pop culture. Oh man, Ugh. I think Kanye West would be quite a wrestler. You know, he's got the personality for it. <laughs> God, for I sure. love Kanye. 
Uh, you know, Trump is literally in the WWE Hall of Fame. Yes. Is he For really? Real. Yes. Yes. He actually made an appearance at a WrestleMania and beat down Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we still elected him president. Yes. Can you believe it? <laughs> yes. It well, him right. and Vince McMahon were business partners with the XFL, which is making a comeback. Trying to make a comeback. The XFL well, is making a comeback? To. The Rock bought yep. it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well, then it'll make a comeback. The Rock and his ex-wife own the XFL now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So... I was hoping you were going to say somebody like the Revolting Blob or Captain. <laughs> speaking of the, some made up name, speaking of the Rock yeah, from uh, Billy Madison. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Revolting Blob. <laughs> what about the Rock? Oh, I, I just that—that's just another wrestler. We're talking about wrestling and and how how oh, how, how, how it all linked and all the different connections. That was like way after I stopped watching. You it. never smelled what he was cooking. No, I was really into like Jake the Snake and all those old dudes. Yeah, he was very cool. Yeah. I think he actually became a Christian. He did. And yeah. now he's, he's doing infomercials for DDP Yoga. <laughs> Jake the Snake. There's a lot of those guys. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My my stepdad, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, by the way, you mentioned. Uh, and so. Oh, um, Ric Flair country. Yeah, fuck Ric Flair. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> 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 Woo! Get your ass out. You know, I, I used to be a fan of Ric Flair. Um, this has, talking about sports again, um, he came out publicly as a 49ers fan uh, the year the yeah, yes. the Panthers were playing the 49ers in in San Francisco and this whole thing and so ever since then I was like well fuck you why don't you just move to California then we don't want we don't want you <laughs> anyway I know all right have a have a great day Jason you guys have anything hang on. Jason thank you, you so much for it's your been time. a lot of fun guys thank Bef- you so much for doing this before yeah. you guys go um, real quick Jason. Um, I'm going to kick Chris off at some point and like, could you and I do an, a podcast for my show with about homeschooling, but in January sometime? Yeah, I've, that'd be fun. I've wanted to homeschool dad. I've wanted to interview homeschool dads. I just haven't had anybody offer like can't find any. They keep telling me they exist, but I can't find any. Okay. Yeah, that'll be fun. Let's right. do it. Cool. I'll send you an email. Thank you. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Cool. Elizabeth, are you in That's the United States right now? Chris, yes, I am. And I know my <laughs> audio sucks. I was telling you I was having issues. Just back off. You, yeah. That's why All I didn't right. say Jason, anything the entire so interview. Time, I'm having issues. All right. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Uh,